episode of the EMAG cast mini-series, Climate Change and Human Health. My name is Katie, and through the course of eight episodes, I'll be walking you through the many ways that climate change impacts human health. Today, our focus will be extreme weather events. This mini-series is a part of a scholarly project to explore podcasts as a climate change education tool for healthcare professionals. There's a very short survey that's located in the description of this episode that I hope you will fill out after listening. It should take you no more than three minutes and would be a huge help to the project. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. In order to be considered a significant weather disaster, an event has to result in at least 10 deaths or affect more than 1,000 people. In the past two decades, our world has seen an average of 335 events per year. This is almost double the amount of extreme weather events that occurred in the 10 years prior to that. According to the United Nations Office for Disaster Risk Reduction, weather-related disasters in the past two decades have resulted in the deaths of over 600,000 people, and another 4.1 billion people have been left injured, displaced, or needing emergency assistance. Such events include heat waves, droughts, wildfires, dust storms, flooding rains, hurricanes, coastal flooding, and storm surges. In this episode, we will spend most of our time discussing droughts, wildfires, floods, and storms. But before diving into specific weather-related events, let's talk briefly about infrastructure and how it plays a role in exacerbating or mitigating the effects of extreme weather. Essential infrastructure refers to public health facilities, transportation systems such as roads and trains, energy grids, and water treatment and distribution facilities. Many of these systems are closely intertwined, and the failure of one can result in others toppling down. For example, when power grids shut down, the electricity that is fueling hospitals, public transportation, and water systems stops, resulting in the collapse of other vital pieces of infrastructure. In 2003, a heat wave in the northeastern part of the United States resulted in a blackout, which led to the failure of hospital emergency generators, which then resulted in increased mortality in New York City. As we have discussed in previous episodes, climate change is occurring at an exponential rate. The infrastructure of most communities was designed based on historical weather patterns. However, these historical patterns lag way behind the rate at which we are experiencing changes in our global climate. This leaves the systems of infrastructure in our communities lagging much farther behind what is already being currently demanded of them during extreme weather events. This gap is only going to exacerbate and get worse as the amount of stress that our communities will be required to handle will grow. Ultimately, this will result in more damage, devastation, and death with each extreme weather event. Now, moving into the weather events, let's start with drought. Droughts are defined by prolonged periods with uncharacteristically little rainfall. As the world warms, droughts are predicted to become more frequent and more intense. Between 1981 and 2016, the United States experienced 24 drought events that resulted in over $226 billion in damages and 2,993 deaths. Worldwide, droughts and the resulting famines are associated with more deaths than any other climate-related disaster. Sometimes we think of droughts lasting a season or two, but droughts can last years. A recent drought in the Mediterranean lasted for 15 years. 
With drought comes insufficient agricultural production, leading to starvation, malnutrition, and dehydration. These ripple effects of drought most often impact lower middle income countries, especially those whose food supply heavily demands on one crop. During these times, people often change their diets to adapt to the food that is available, relying on improperly processed foods that can make them sick. Cassava is a starchy root vegetable that is consumed in many countries in the southern hemisphere. Prior to consumption, it requires three to four days of soaking to get rid of neurotoxic cyanogens. During a recent drought in Tanzania and Mozambique, there was not enough water to properly pre prepare the cassava, and many people opted for a short soak of one to two days rather than the traditional three to four. This led to widespread outbreaks of a devastating and irreversible neurologic disease called Konzo. Konzo begins with sudden onset of profound weakness and sensory changes of the legs. The weakness often confines patients to bed for a few days during the initial attack. The disease often then stabilizes for a few days, but it leaves patients with a variety of motor losses. The most common motor deficit is a spastic crossing of the legs while walking, which leaves patients with a scissoring gait. There are other similar examples, like a drought in Afghanistan, leading people to consume wheat flour that had been improperly processed. The wheat flour still contained the seeds of charmac weeds, which cause liver failure. 22% of people who ate these seeds ended up with a fatal liver disease referred to as Charmock disease or camel belly. Finally, droughts have a significant impact on water and vector-borne diseases. Droughts lead to reduced freshwater availability and increased contamination and compromised water quality of remaining supply. When water quantity decreases, it results in de decreased water flow, resulting in warm, stagnant environments that favor the growth of pathogens. Vibrio is one particular species that loves warm, stagnant waters and results in ear, eye, and wound infections, along with severe diarrhea and even death. Mosquito-borne diseases like malaria, Zika, West Nile, and chikungunya have all been linked to droughts because mosquitoes rely on stagnant water to reproduce. Like we talked about in our last episode about bugs and vectors, as populations consolidate and become more concentrated, the likelihood of disease transmission increases. Drought causes many animal species, including humans, to congregate in areas where water is present, which increases transmission rates of vector-borne diseases. In addition to dehydration and malnutrition, drought can result in secondary impacts like dust storms and wildfires. Dust storms increase the particulate matter in the air and result in acute respiratory conditions like valley fever, along with magnified long-term cardiovascular disease risk. Wildflowers can also cause a whole list of health problems, so let's chat about those next. Wildfire smoke is estimated to cause around 339,000 deaths per year. Wildfire smoke is made up of many components that contribute to worsening air quality, including ambient air particles known as particulate matter, carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, methane, nitrogen oxides, and volatile organic carbons. There is a strong association between exposure to wildfire smoke, particulate matter, and all-cause mortality and respiratory morbidity, including COPD and asthma exacerbations, pneumonia, and bronchitis. Socioeconomic conditions play a huge role in who gets the worst of these exposures. In a North Carolina wildfire in 2008, people who were living in poor socioeconomic conditions experienced greater exposure to wildfire particulate matter, which resulted in greater emergency department visits for asthma and heart failure. 
A study of wildfires in Victoria, Australia, found that exposure to wildfire particulate matter increased the amount of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and hospitalizations for ischemic heart disease and myocardial infarction. And how exactly does particulate matter mediate these effects? Primarily through production of free radicals. In the lung, the air pollutants interact with alveolar capillary cells, which result in oxidative stress reactions and an inflammatory response. This inflammatory response can cause a bunch of subsequent responses, including decreased nitric oxide availability, oxidation of blood lipids, platelet activation, and activation of prothrombotic blood proteins, all of which increase the likelihood of a blood clot forming. Additionally, the very tiniest bits of particulate matter are able to cross the alveolar membrane into the capillary, where they are picked up by blood and transported throughout the body. These little tiny particles can cause endothelial dysfunction, activation, and injury, all of which contribute to the risk of hypertension, cardiac ischemia, acute coronary syndrome, stroke, arrhythmia, and heart failure. While we may primarily think of wildfires producing smoke while they're burning and in the area that they're burning, wildfire smoke can travel great distances and hang in the air for much longer than the fire is actively burning. Wildfire smoke contains both ultrafine lightweight particles and some larger, coarser particles. The ultrafine particles tend to hang in the air longer than the heavier particles, and they are also able to travel farther. These are the particles that are able to penetrate deep into the lungs and cross the alveolar capillary membrane into the bloodstream. In addition to smoke being able to travel far, wildfires are able to create smoke beyond when they are actively burning. In fact, the smoldering phase is allowed to burn for months after the fire is considered contained, and this phase actually contributes more particulate matter to the air than the active phase does. The smoldering phase contributes a huge proportion of wildfire pollution and long-term health effects due to the inhalation of these particles. Okay, enough of our hot and dry topics. Let's move on to floods and storms. Floods account for half of the weather-related disasters that have occurred in the last 20 years and have killed over 157,000 people. Storms only account for a quarter of the disasters, but what storms lack in quantity, they make up for in destruction. Storms resulted in 220,000 fatalities and affected 660,000 people from 1996 to 2016 alone. Floods and storms negatively affect human health through a variety of mechanisms. The floodwaters, high wind speeds, and debris during storms can result in injury or death. In Hawaii, a study of emergency care facilities found that the number of injury-related visits per week increased to 1,462 injuries per 100,000 people per week in the two weeks after a hurricane. At baseline, these facilities care for an average of 213 injuries per 100,000 per week. This is a relative risk of 6.85 for injury associated with storms. Visits for lacerations, corneal abrasions, open wounds, puncture wounds, and contusions all increased within two weeks of a storm. Destruction of residential buildings causes displacement, overcrowding, and worse living conditions. Damaging infrastructure, as we discussed at the beginning of this episode, can negatively impact healthcare and agriculture. Oftentimes during flooding, there is increased risk of transmission of infectious disease, malnutrition, exacerbation of existing conditions, and lack of access to preventative and curative health care. In the week following Hawaii storms, GI illnesses, leptospirosis, and skin and soft tissue infections all increased. Outbreaks of cholera and norovirus were identified within two weeks of the storm. GI illnesses, especially cholera, 
skin infections, and leptospirosis have also been associated with foods. As far as long-term effects go, extreme precipitation can damage buildings, resulting in more moisture entry into indoor spaces, allowing for the growth of mold and other allergens that can trigger allergies and asthma. A phenomenon called thunderstorm asthma refers to the increasing aeroallergen concentration, resulting in worsening of allergic illnesses, including some respiratory diseases. This phenomena was demonstrated in Melbourne, Australia in 2016, when a thunderstorm led to the hospitalization of 8,500 patients for respiratory illnesses alone. As sea levels rise, there will be more extreme precipitation events, resulting in storms and significant human health challenges. In addition to these acute events, there will be more long-term environmental changes that will affect flood dynamics. The rising sea level results in sunny day flooding, which is tidal flooding of areas that are close to sea level, resulting in disruption of road access and storm drains. As the incidence of sunny day flooding increases, more people are moving to popular coastal cities. This shift will end up increasing the number of people at risk of injury, illness, and death as flooding becomes more common. Unfortunately, people with fewer resources and lower socioeconomic conditions will bear the brunt of these damages. We will spend more time discussing these disparities in our final episode. There is one more huge impact that all extreme weather events have on people and populations that I have yet to mention. It's the forced displacement that is caused by these events. We will dive more into this topic in a future episode, but I did not want this episode to end without mentioning the fact that extreme weather causes forced displacement, which negatively contributes to both physical and mental health. But more on that later. I hope you found this episode to be interesting, informative, and useful. Just a reminder that this episode is a part of a podcast series that explores the utility of podcasts as climate science education tools for healthcare professionals, and I would greatly appreciate it if you fill out the survey located in the description. It should only take a minute or two. Thank you so much for listening. Next up, we'll chat about air quality.